Welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Doug Dewan, and joining me this segment is Shauna Pennington-Baird, 2024 Washington Go Red for Women Ambassador for the American Heart Association. Join us as we look at issues that affect us here at home in our community and across the nation. Today, we're going to talk about American Heart Association's American Heart Month and Go Red for Women. Shauna, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. Thank you very much. Really glad to be here. You have some personal experience with heart disease. Before we start talking about anything else, can you give us your backstory and and share that with us? Yeah. Um, I had no idea that I had heart disease. Um, I was 45 years old and in all senses, a completely healthy person. So I did a lot of hiking and backpacking and scuba diving and just really altogether healthy. Um, the occasional cold to get the flu. Uh, and I did a lot of solo travel. And in 2019, I took my family to Europe and I was going to stay there for a work conference. And so we had two weeks in like Iceland and the, the highlands of Scotland and Ireland and my family flew home and I had three days all by myself. And I was so excited about it. And I arrived at the Airbnb and the world just went gray and I started sweating like crazy. And I thought, yeah, I should probably get help. So I, I called emergency services and it turns out th- that I had had, without knowing it, an aneurysm that was greater than seven centimeters on my aorta that had started to tear. And so it took him a while to figure out what was wrong with me because I also looked younger than 45. So they didn't think aortic dissection, which is what happened. They just didn't know. They could see fluid around the heart. They kept this test, that test. Finally, they gave me a CAT scan, which is the thing that saved my life because they did the CAT scan and suddenly everything started moving really fast. And before I knew it, I was a, well, 14-hour surgery and ended up with a mechanical heart valve and survived the whole thing. And it's something like 5% survival rate. Once you start to bleed out, people tend to go really fast. And so that CAT scan in Ireland uh, and then all of the great care I had in Ireland is why I'm here. And when I came home, um, cardiologists, everybody wanted to talk to me. And they were like, do you have a history in your, in your family? And I took a bunch of genetics tests and those at the time, they're changing all the time, came up negative. But my dad had passed away at 77 when he went in for a heart valve exchange, like repair he didn't come through the surgery. So that's heart valve stuff. There's a half-brother who died very young and no one knows why. So we don't know why, right? And then both my dad's parents died in their 40s, probably from heart-related stuff. So that tracks if we look at my, my own family history. But it's crazy because I did not know this was happening. It's, I was absolutely silent until suddenly it went. Yeah. So that that was going to be my follow-up question is, you know, learning about what the cause of this was, because a lot of times we hear about it's genetic or it's behavioral or diet. Um, so you believe that yours was probably, probably genetic, but even then, uh, when you had this tested, the doctors were unable to have conclusive results in that favor. They basically tell me even now my aorta is really healthy. So I go in every year to get scanned. We call it surveillance. And it, I have no new existing, aneur- no new aneurysms, no existing aneurysms. It was one surgeon said it was my one thing that happened. And 
while they'll keep looking at me, they don't think it was based on my diet. I mean, I eat bacon, like I love bacon and, um, and I, and I, but I mostly eat healthy and I'm a cyclist. So I've stayed starting as a dancer and I've stayed backpacker cycling pretty healthy my whole life. So active. And my friends will tell a story that when we used to hike in the mountains here in Washington state, I never liked to hike fast for whatever reason. I loved to get my heart rate to right around 150 and I want to slow down and take pictures. And I used to, I was the old lady hiking with them and 10 years older. I'd be like, Hey guys, I'm going to take some pictures. And I probably had the aneurysm on at least one of those hikes. And I just always slowed down. And then as soon as I felt good, we'd hike again. But there was nothing, there were no tests that would have given anyone any idea. Now my daughter, who's 13, she's already been scanned. (laughs) We're already taking a look. We are looking right now. She has no existing disease, but her life will be a little different because of my history. So let's talk uh, post-operative care. What advice were you given by doctors to reduce future risks of heart disease or or future risks of this reoccurring? Depends what country I was in. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so in Ireland, it was great because in Ireland, they didn't scare me by telling me the horrible thing that happened to me. They're like, oh, you're grand. And then they bring tea to your bedside like four times a day, which is great. And the surgeon there, she said, you're very lucky to be alive. And she said, uh, when you get home, obviously talk to lots of folks, but they basically fed me good Irish beef. And, um, and I remember at one point there was like, it looked like butter with a side of butter. I think it was cheesecake, but it, it just looked like pure fat and I did not eat it. But, but that what they fed us in the hospital in Ireland was very Irish Lots of, it wasn't, it wasn't the dash diet. It wasn't no sodium or anything like that. And they kept saying in Ireland, you know, tell us when you quit smoking. And I was like, I've never smoked. And like, yeah, yeah. But when did you quit? I'm like, no, I've, I've really never smoked. But they, in Ireland, didn't have that same change everything. When I was in Virginia Mason, some of their hospitals here, Kaiser here in Washington state, it's been interesting. The, most of my cardiologists are like, eat healthy go Mediterranean, maybe a little dash, dash is a good idea. Um, but they're not adamant, most likely probably because I'm, they don't see a lot of existing disease and I am on all the medication. So I'm on the medication, your average 60 year old man would be on. I have a beta blocker. I have a statin. Um, and then there were a lot of other health things that happened. I have even more medications. So I eat pretty healthy just due to all the medications I'm on. But other than that incident and some of the things I think that are fallout from being on a bypass machine for 14 hours. And it's interesting. None of the hospitals, any of them, and I've been in lots, I think seven in one year, um, they all, and I would go in for unusual circumstances (laughs) and they never thought it was really all related to the, the heart stuff. And getting online and talking to other heart survivors has been really great because we can go, oh, you get ocular migraines too? Really? You get double vision too? And so we have all kind of, there's a bunch of different aortic groups online all over the world. We have figured out there's all kinds of fallout we all sort of have from having been on a bypass machine for a long time. And it's all anecdotal, but it's helpful. And it's interesting, we didn't hear that from the various uh, hospitals or cardio or, 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 you know, cardiology departments. Everyone has a little different take. I've had one cardiologist say to me, go live your life. 
I had another one say to me, uh, we want you to really take it easy. Maybe, maybe less cycling, maybe, you know, maybe keep your heart always below 125. And I was like, really? I had another person, I think the right and other recommendations are for me to keep my blood pressure below 120, which is pretty low. But mine was always low. I never had high blood pressure. My blood pressure is typically about 108 over like, I can't remember, 78 or something like that. Very, very low. And when I'm on stage performing, I even wore my blood pressure cuff one time to find out. Um, it still, it kind of spikes and then gets back to the real settled place. So we don't think mine was blood pressure, blood pressure related either. Yeah. Anyone who's ever been on stage will tell you the first five minutes are the moments where you're tense and then it all goes away. Um, so all of this being said, uh, you have then come to be involved with the American Heart Association and their Go Red for Women campaign. How did that come about and uh, why should somebody like yourself become an ambassador? It was an honor to be contacted by them. Uh, I got an email and I was so excited just to be able to let women know, because for me in particular, I had no idea. And cardiovascular disease is a huge leading killer of people, you know, both men and women. And anytime we can raise the awareness, not just of the women, but the doctors. And why I'm so excited is because I got that CAT scan, that is why I'm alive. And I can think off the top of my hand, on a hand, one hand, the number of people either here locally and or famous people who were sent home and died of aortic dissection because they weren't scanned. So for me, if we can get the message out, think aorta, think scan, anywhere that we can, that one test, it was conclusive. I looked so young, what could have happened is I would have gone to the hospital, they would have run all those tests, and then said, you know what, come back in a couple days, let us know how you're feeling. I wouldn't be here today. I would have gone home, gone to sleep, and not made it, yeah. I've heard it said many times, you have to be an advocate for yourself and your own health, because first of all, doctors can't catch everything. They go through checklists, you know, they know they have processes that, that they believe work the best, but sometimes you just know your body. What was it? What was it looking back before this happened that you think you should have been more aware of? There was a tiny popping sensation in my chest crossing a crosswalk in West Seattle. And I, I have a hard time. I yesterday drove over that crosswalk and went, oh, that spot. It was a tiny, tiny popping sensation, right? You know, on that left side. And my daughter had just done a show. We'd just gotten ice cream. And I remember I crossed the street and it was the worst tasting ice cream I'd ever had in my life. It was disgusting. I was in a very bad mood, which is not normal for me. I was like, this is terrible ice cream. We should go get better ice cream. My family's like, you're acting very strange. We get home and I had a heartburn up into my jawline. This is probably when the rupture happened and then it clotted. And I asked my husband at the time, hey, you know, I don't feel very good. He goes, oh, you know, you're 45. Now take some Pepsi AC. You'll be fine. And I did. I went to bed and I felt fine the next day again. Two weeks later, I get reoccurring heartburn again. And it's a little, it's, most of it's the jawline. That's really dangerous when it goes, anyone who's hearing this and knows this, if, it, if the pain goes up into your jaw, into your chin, just go in. Um, and we kind of, I think I had three of those episodes. I had the ice cream and then I had, the, oh, I was on my, on my bike. I cycle at home. I couldn't keep up in a cycling class. How odd. And I went upstairs to my husband and said, I couldn't really keep up in class today. 
And he said, we still, we're still, we're planning to do this big European trip. And then in Europe, in, in Scotland, I got sick and I had that heartburn again. So in looking back, clearly we can see a pattern of rupture, clot, 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 clot. Very lucky I'm still here. On day 26, this was July 27th, on the 24th of August is when the problem happened. I had a huge coughing attack, which prob- probably dislodged the clot. All the sweat happened. I started to have a horrible problem. That sweat, it was like pouring in your eyes kind of sweat. You don't, don't want to ignore that. That's when I called 999 and said, hi, um, I think I should go with you guys. And so don't ignore little tiny things that happen. It's okay to go in. And then, of course, you have to self-advocate because when you are 30 or 29 or 40, they might just say, hey, we think you have, you know, heartburn and how do you say can i get scanned and if you have a history and i go there's a history of heart issues that's when you say can i get a cat scan can we can we rule it out well i'm glad that everything worked out well for like in the end that you're still here and uh you know you're aware of the issue now what's life uh like post-treatment i i you've talked about being on stage i've heard you've done some creative work can you talk about that a little bit yeah, I pretty normal. How great is that? I mean, I have a little bit of PTSD for sure. Um, if there's a small pain in my chest, I'm going to probably sit down on the couch and go, am I dying? No, I'm okay. Am I dying? I'm okay. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, so there's some of that. Uh, sleeping at night can be tough because you really, when I woke up, that first orange that I smelled was incredible and that moment of i am still here and that gratitude has never gone away there's not a day that i don't think oh cool i'm still here and the kind of work that i do um for years i was in musical theater and i'm pretty grateful not to be doing eight shows a week and being on stage that would be hard Um, my work had already morphed into voice work a voiceover so i have a home studio and in ireland i'd taken my stuff with me I always do because you never know something could pop up. So in the hospital in Ireland, I um, I told the ICU nurse, I'm like, I need to send a file. This is important. I need to send this. Oh, hen, you can't you can't be working. You're you're sick. And I was like, no, I really need to send this file. So I sent it, and my friend who was doing this, it was like a training, a huge training for a big company in Seattle. And uh, he emailed me back. He goes, Are you doing okay? Are you okay? We have like a bunch more files. Could could you do some voiceover? Are you in the hospital? It's like, at this point, I'd been moved to the wards. And I looked at my roommate, I had, four, I had three roommates. And I was like, they want me to do some, uh, some, some sexual harassment training. And my roommate, she goes, oh, you should use the x-ray room. And I was like, because we could beep, beep, beep in our room. And I had this tiny little, you know, setup. And she's like, I'll cover for you. I'll tell them you're in the shower. It was so calming. I had friends who were mad. They're like, why are you working? I'm like, because it's making life feel very normal after something very un, very unusual and, and scary. So I did. I snuck into the x-ray room of Cork University Hospital at 10.30 at night. <laughs> I sat in the dark with my little microphone and the script, and I recorded 45 minutes of sexual harassment training, which made me feel normal. So when I got home, it was great. And again, there were all those other hospital stays, mostly because of double vision and or all. I always took my gear. And so I have now recorded weird voiceover stuff. And thankfully, it wasn't video game stuff. No one was yelling and screaming. Um, but all these nurses have been my my cohorts. <laughs> and can we move that clock? Can we, get, can we build some more pillows here? Uh, I recorded the whole time I was getting better. 
the whole time. So I kept working. And the joy of this kind of work is that it's not so physical. But I did have to learn to breathe again because sternal precautions and, you know, that I have a scar. They didn't, I didn't get the tiny scar where they come in and do it all. No, no, no. They, they were like, get that. There's a valve in the drawer. Let's get her open and let's get her fixed. Um, so that's, I have a big scar. So as I was recovering, I really had to learn how to phrase things and take more breaths than I had in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I totally agree with the point that, that came out of that story, which is sometimes when something happens to you, everyone wants you to take it easy. Everyone wants you to take a step back, but that's not normal. And then you start to feel isolated. How much do you think just feeling normal and, and being a part of something and having that socialization, even through work, uh, contributed to your recovery? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because voiceover, we, we're already weirdos that talk to ourselves in padded boxes. Um, so, so it's really nice that the, the voiceover community, man, they, my friends, not, com- not competition. They're not, they're not competition. They're friends. They all reached out. And the fact that I had something to do every day that wasn't too hard. I wasn't doing audiobook work, which is eight hours in a studio or longer, really hard stuff. I know. It's just a little bit of work here and there, which when I could rest. So having community, having something to do, even just getting on my bike. So when I got home, I had met with all these folks, all the different things. You should exercise. You should not exercise. You should do. No one really knew. And I was like, I want to get back on my bike. I want to cycle. And so I contacted um, a a really pretty well-known cycling coach in New York City. And I said, hi, um, I've taken your classes a lot. I really want to get back on the bike. What do you recommend? And he sent me to a coach who worked with athletes who were, were going through a lot of either health stuff or cancer or anything. And Greg Wagoner, who he, he was my coach. He is still a good friend. For that first year and a half, he got me on the bike four and five times a day safely. And I attribute that even more than the voiceover that bike, the fact that I knew I was going to get on site, I was going to get on and I was going to cycle indoors because one of the things I'm not supposed to fall, I'm on warfarin for the rest of my life. So I still do some outdoor cycling, um, but I also have an e-bike, which means I can power up the hills in Seattle, which is so much fun. Um, but I, the fact that I could psychologically get on that bike and be successful, have something to do every day, that kept me out of depression. And I still took days off. But I was following his plan. And also, I just having having a coach check in on you and go, how you doing? How'd that last ride feel? And looking at my numbers, too. And I've had moments on the bike where I've either slowed down or changed what I was doing, whatever needed to happen. And I have my numbers. I am. I wear a heart rate monitor. And I have the blood pressure. I have also have a ring. I've got all these things I wear. And so... Maybe I have too much focus on the numbers, but I have a heart rate control. The minute my heart rate goes to 145, I'm pretty much backing off because I've had permission from my cardiologist to go to 160 a couple times a year to do what's called a functional threshold test, an FTP test. And so, and those tests still scare me. And I remember I went in, one of the hospitals had me do a stress test and I was like, can I do it on a bike? And they're like, yeah, no, no, no. We want you to walk. And I'm like, okay. So at some point they, they had the, they had the, um, the, the, the walking with its treadmill. The treadmill was on such an angle. I was holding on just to not fall off it. 
And I still didn't have my heart rate high enough for them to test it really because I was in really good shape. This is post. And at that point, my, my chest was hurting because I don't have a lot of upper body strength right now. So the, the test stress that they do in the hospitals, I was in too good a shape for them to get a number. So they were happy. They're like, no, you're good. We can take you off the treadmill. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. uh, I'm a person that that rides an exercise bike as well. And if you were to ask me to run on a treadmill or anything like that, I'm, I would be very stressed out. It's a completely yes. different <laughs> test on your cardiovascular health. Uh, but I mean, yeah, of course, they know what they're doing. Um, but I, I'm so glad that you're able to do all of that. Um, also, I, I mean, as somebody who rides a bike, there's something about the endorphins and the dopamine that's released at the end that just makes you feel better anyways. So to just to be able to get that is mood altering. Now, now uh, go red for women. Let's get back to that because that's a pretty important part of this conversation uh, has an event coming up on March 7th. Uh, first of all, give us what is Go Red for Women? Is it just an advocacy program? And then tell us about the event and why is it important that we should be supporting this? So Go Red for Women is celebrating 20 years of impact and the American Heart Association is marking its 100th birthday. The Go Red for Women Day was February 2nd, but that's OK because we can go red for women all year. It's really focusing on the fact that nearly 45 percent of women over 20 are living with some form of cardiovascular disease. So this is a sizable problem. And the event itself, the Go for Women, uh, Go Red for Women experience is on Thursday, March 7th at Victory Hall at the Boxyard in Seattle. And uh, tickets are available now. Uh, it's located right across the street from T-Mobile Park in Soto. It's that former, um, the Pyramid Brewery. And the evening's gonna include a networking cocktail reception, an inspiring dinner program with speakers and a live auction. And the proceeds from the event benefit the American Heart Association. Uh, to get tickets, you're going to want, or to donate, if you can't go, you can still donate and tell people. Uh, you want to go to heart.org slash Puget Sound Go Red. Um, heart.org slash, and it's all one word, Puget Sound Go Red. And that event is just going to celebrate. There are five women. There's four others who are also ambassadors with me. And I will tell you that the day we all got to get, to get together and we were all wearing red and had a photo shoot, we got to hear each other's stories. And my story I've been living with for a long time. But to hear about heart transplants when she was, you know, how she was so young, to hear about heart attack survivors, we're all a little different um, and I'm just so grateful that we're all alive. And these stories are incredibly inspiring. So to me, it's one of the most important events. And I am a huge fan of the American Heart Association, its outreach and its research. Two things. Uh, one, I'm pretty sure that that place is called the Hatback for anyone who's listening. Um, secondarily, 40% of women over the age of 20, you said, are living with heart disease. That number just jumps out at me. So how can people support this event? So the first thing you can do is you can you can go on, take a look at it. You can attend for sure. Uh, you can if you can't attend, you can donate. Uh, and then beyond that, I think it's OK if it's 40 percent of women. Take a look at how we're eating. Take a look at our history. Take a look at how much exercise we're getting and and figuring out do we need to make lifestyle changes? Not huge ones, but little ones that are going to impact our health moving forward. 
now that that's happened to me, I'm a big believer in Mediterranean and DASH diet, and for sure, I love exercise. That is something I will never stop doing. Just keep moving so that we can keep our hearts healthy and beating. That was actually going to be how I was going to ask you uh, to to end this, is what advice do you have for women listening right now? Aside from what you just said, is there anything poignant that you think they should know? I think we need to listen to our bodies carefully and not in a paranoid way. But if you have something that is just a little unusual and it happens more than once, from in my case, that was four Four pretty, even though they seemed small at the time, four things happened. I think it would have behooved me to go ahead and make that, that, that appointment with my cardiologist. If it's something that is instantaneous, for example, sweat pouring down your eyes and suddenly the world is gray, make the call immediately. I think yesterday I had the weirdest zapping sensation across my, my chest. It's one of those where you go, am I okay? I think I'm okay. Am I Okay. But it's also not panicking, right? It's finding that moment of, okay, if it happens again, I'm going to pay attention to it. So it's not panic. It's an awareness. And I'm pretty sure that I tweaked my arm putting it in my sweatshirt. Um, So I'm pretty sure I'm okay with what happened yesterday. But I will continue to pay attention. Not be paranoid. Just take care of myself. So I would say to anyone listening, it's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay to call. And it's okay to have those conversations. And if it's something that's happening frequently, I think it's okay to ask to get scanned. Well, I appreciate it. Shauna, first of all, thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about this. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I know. I said that in a weird way where it didn't sound like I was done talking. I was done talking. <laughs> uh, so we can learn more. It's heart.org, correct? Um, heart. Yes, it's heart.org for the American, uh, the American Heart Association. If you want to know more about the event, it's heart.org slash Puget Sound Go Red. Shauna, thank you so much for joining me. And thank every one of you for listening. Conversations is a public affairs program of the station. Thank you so much.